Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, do you have a strong opinion on the proposed Alberta pension plan? It's leading national news headlines as the Alberta government's asking citizens to chime in on the idea. Now, we're going to talk about this over the weeks and months to come, including hearing from people that think it's a great idea. But in this episode of Real Talk, we get a couple different perspectives from economist Trevor Toom and finance critic Shannon Phillips so you can make an informed decision. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. How close are you to cashing in your pension? How relevant does talk about changes or potential changes to pensions in Canada, in particular for Albertans, how, how loudly does that resonate with you? Chances are it's relevant to you, regardless of where you're listening or, or watching this from across the country or, or even beyond, because there would be implications where any province, let alone Alberta, with its younger population, a, a population that contributes a significant amount to a Canada pension plan, significant implications if that province were to to pull out, to take its contributions and go home, so to speak. That's exactly what Alberta's government is talking about doing under the leadership of Premier Danielle Smith. And, and they've released a report that they're asking Albertans to consider ahead of what could be a referendum, a big question, asking Albertans if they'd like to see the province move ahead with its own pension plan, like Quebec has done. Some of the numbers have been questioned. I mean, the report itself asserts that Alberta would be entitled to more than 50% of the assets of the Canada Pension Plan. And then there are questions around management and what this might mean for people that are drawing the pension now, that'll be drawing from that pension later. I mean, a whole bunch of questions. And so that's why we're dedicating this episode of Real Talk to that. We'll have further conversations. You're going to hear from advocates for the plan frankly you're going to hear from people in days weeks months to come that think it's a great idea today probably not going to get that vibe and i say that because of what i've seen from our two guests today dr trevor toom who's going to join us in just a second an economist out of the university of calgary has a piece in the globe and mail you may have read it already says alberta's pension plan idea is full of holes and after we talk to Dr. Toom, you're going to hear from the official opposition, the Alberta NDP finance critic, Shannon Phillips. Something tells me she doesn't think it's a great idea either, but we're going to ask her why. And then we're going to go to messages that you've sent us, in particular responses to an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll that we put out yesterday teeing up this episode. Of course, you can follow all of our social media channels at RealTalkRJ on TikTok, uh, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at Danatech. If you've been, I don't know, maybe looking to get your team the industry's best safety training, but you don't want to approach that kind of willy-nilly, you're looking for an organization, a group that's been doing it right, that has a, a, a history, a track record of good performance, cross-industry expertise, you're going to find more than 30 years of that with Danatech. Plus, you'll save money on training with Danatech. Big companies across Canada use Danatech's Wemis TDG electrical and lifting device courses for good reason. Uh, they've got a catalog of over 150 courses across all industries. Plus, 
The course is designed by experts with real on-the-job experience, so they actually make a difference on your job site. You can visit danatech.com today to see their courses and find out more about bulk discounts. Our leadoff guest this morning is looked to, frankly, across the country for common sense, nonpartisan analysis of issues that impact Canadians in particular economically. He's a professor at the University of Calgary School of Economics, and you've read his work in publications like we just cited the Globe and Mail. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the show, Dr. Trevor Toome. Thanks for making time for us this morning. It's nice to see you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is something that I think a lot of people have known is coming for quite some time. Danielle Smith's been talking about the idea of an Alberta pension plan for, for long before she was leader of the United Conservatives, uh, long before she was premier of Alberta. I suspect you weren't surprised by it. So is, is this something that you've been musing about, thinking about for, for a few years now? Yeah, I mean, in fact, it's not a new idea even to the current government. Back in the 1960s, for example, when members of parliament were debating the original Canada Pension Plan Act, many of them were speculating about a future Alberta separate plan and what that might mean for the CPP. So it, it is not at all a new idea. We also saw, I guess, about a quarter century ago now, that famous firewall letter uh, signed by many prominent Alberta conservatives that put it forward as something that the province should pursue. So it's always been an issue, and and there have been academics that studied it, uh, most recently back in 2000, and I guess starting in the late 1990s, sorry. But most recently, it has been an issue that was both kind of campaigned on in a sense. You know, the Fair Deal panel was something that was put forward by the former premier, that panel was very clear that the government should pursue uh, a separate Alberta pension plan. The government agreed to look very closely at it. And we've seen it in the mandate letters of the last two ministers of finance here in the province. So I'm not at all surprised we're actually moving forward with this um, conversation. Uh, and I guess that, that's why I've put a lot of work into it, including a recently released academic paper on the subject, just because it was telegraphed for so long prior to the government actually moving forward on this. Yeah. Are you talking about this Alberta pension advantage quantitative analysis of a separate provincial plan? Is that what we're talking about here? That's right. And so that was something I've been working on this uh, past year and kind of completed it in, in the summer and just sort of waited until the government actually decided to move forward on it. And so this is a, a paper that goes through both the history and a lot of real up-to-date data analysis on what a separate pension plan might look like, including a wide variety sorry, of scenarios, because I think that's very important for Albertans to consider. You know, this is, there's not just one scenario that we should have in mind. This is a very, very long run decision where, you know, people graduating high school now will be collecting a pension in the 2070s and 80s, and some of them will live into the 22nd century. So this is a very long run policy decision. We should think about all sorts of future risks and contingencies. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'm grateful that we've got you for a little bit of time here because I want to dig into that. I want to uh, dig into about how this isn't about like saving oil and gas over the next 15 years or, or, or over the next 10 years or getting it through a bump. I mean, it's sort of the, the mindset or the mentality of where a, a big fund manager, a, a management firm needs to be. But why don't, why don't we just talk about kind of the, the basic things that Canadians are talking about right now? They'll, they'll note that Quebec has been doing this for quite some time. What do we know about advantages that Quebecers have seen and 
do see and, and what do we know about maybe some of the challenges or I guess I'm asking you about the pros and the cons. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And like with any big complex policy area, there's always pros and cons to explore. And, and Quebec is interesting because it never joined the Canada Pension Plan at all. It wasn't in and then separated. So no one's ever left once it joined. So Canada, Quebec set its up uh, originally at the same time as the Canada Pension Plan and was for the most part harmonized with the CPP. So Quebec and Canada negotiated those details so that the two plans would be relatively well aligned. Then over time, Quebec was using its investment funds not just to maximize returns to pay for future retirement benefits, that's the sole objective of the CPP investment board, but Quebec used some of those funds for uh, nation building, if you will, for investments into certain sectors within Quebec. Uh, some might view that as a positive. Others might view it as a negative. You know, from my perspective, maximizing returns to ensure that future retirement benefits ought to be the sole objective of such a fund. But, you know, they did look to the economic development potential of the fund uh, for industry in Quebec. I guess another con that Quebec has demonstrated is that demographics are not fixed. They can change over time, and Quebec aged more quickly than the rest of the country, and today is slightly older, and that means its pension plan needs to have a higher contribution rate, about nearly a full percentage point higher than the Canada pension plan. So workers are paying more, but the benefits are basically the same. So there is risks of a separate plan. The CPP pools all of that nationally, and so any province that goes it alone has to you know, manage those, in this case, demographic risks on their own. There's the assertion, um, you know, directly from the premier that the Canada pension plan is unfair to Albertans. And and, and correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm dumbing this down too much because I can be guilty of that. Uh, but the assertion is that Alberta pays in. I mean, it's, it's similar to the gripe around equalization, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Albertans pay in to CPP way more than they get out of CPP. Can, can you fact check this for us or can you give us your perspective on it? Sure. So, so it has a kernel of truth to it. And the CPP, when it was set up, was not set up as a fully funded pension plan. You know, it was for the most part what's called a pay-as-you-go system where contributions of current workers fund benefits of retirees. And for those initial waves of elderly individuals who received CPP benefits, you know, decades ago, it was a really good deal for them because they didn't contribute for most of their working years, but collected full benefits once the plan was fully phased in. So there was definitely redistribution from young to old uh, in those early decades of the plan. Less so today, uh, but it's still not fully funded. So there is that, you know, um, that workers paying in, young people paying in, collecting benefits later on, and there is that sort of redistribution happening within the plan. Alberta, being a young province, therefore just has more young people who are contributing into the plan. And so mechanically, there is this large gap between contributions made by Alberta workers and benefits received by Alberta retirees. And I guess part of that, yep, because we're young, also, you know, higher income Albertans disproportionately retire, say, in Kelowna or Victoria. And so those benefit payments are in the data counted as payments to BC rather than to someone who had most of their working years in Alberta. But there's kind of no getting around that gap between contributions and spending. And some view that as unfair. 
An alternative perspective that I take is that that just reflects natural life cycle within any pension plan. Young people pay and the benefits that they receive are in the future. They haven't happened yet. And so if you look at a person's whole lifetime, there is no redistribution happening on account of where they live. You know, a person in Alberta who earns the same is in the same circumstance as someone in BC will pay the same into the CPP and get the same benefits when they retire later on. So the real redistribution, it's not across provinces. It's really between those who live a long time, who benefit from the pension plan, and those who die earlier and don't get to collect their benefits for as long. That's the big redistribution that's going on, but that has nothing to do with what province you're in. So so you and I are coming at this from different angles. You're you're the informed one. You've been studying this for a long time. You know what you're talking about, and I'm just the man on the street. I'm the one that's trying to put my finger on the pulse of, of where the public's at with this. And so there's, there's a few conversations that are running concurrently, and one of them is the government and, and those that are championing this idea uh, for this provincial plan, asserting that that seniors can be paid more right away, that you may pay it, pay less into it, and be able to take more out of it, that it's better for Alberta and and and, and a lot of people that are you know that approach politics at, at a basic level, and that's not an insult or it's not intended to be. But people that have busy lives and they don't always know that they they go. Well, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good idea. That that sounds like something that I might be open to, and so I want to ask you about that. But first, I think it makes sense if I just say. 53%. Uh, everybody knows what we're talking about, or most people that have been paying attention to the story. And that's that this report from, it's, I think it's LifeMark, which has since been a, this consultancy uh, since acquired by Telus Health that prepared this report that's been presented. I mean, they're attaching big names to it everywhere. Preston Manning and Jim Dinning, the former finance minister. And, and I think, you know, maybe trying to give some credibility outside of this government, outside of this cabinet or outside of this premier's office to it. Uh, the report asserting that, that Alberta would be entitled to 53% of the Canada Pension Plan assets were it to leave. And I've seen a lot of people go, well, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, where do you land on that? So, so I think for a lot of practical reasons, it is a problematic interpretation of the Canada Pension Plan Act. And, and so in, in fairness to life marks, or in fairness to anyone who tries to come up with what a separate Alberta plan would look like, is the... Language in the Federal Act, the Canada Pension Plan Act, that governs how much assets a separating province would receive is unclear. It's imprecise. It's Think of it as this four-step process. Step one, add up all the contributions that have been made by workers in the province. Okay, that's conceptually easy. Step two is take the part of the Canada Pension Plan investment returns that are derived from those contributions. Now that sounds easy, but what does derived mean in this context is not clear because there are multiple potential ways of interpreting that language. Even LifeMarks recognizes the ambiguity and they don't just put forward one scenario, they put forward two, uh, one of which yields a result where Alberta would receive more CPP assets than exists, right? More than 100%. So forget 53, <laughs> more, more than it's in, in the entire pot. Uh, right now. And so that one's clearly unreasonable, but then they hang their hat on a second interpretation as though there are not more than two interpretations of the language. 
And I, there are more than two. And you can, I'm in the paper that we talked about earlier, I go through several of them. I kind of detail carefully how the words in the act were originally meant in the 60s, how that might map into um, a mathematical equation to crank out what the assets would be to a separating province. And I think a reasonable read of the act is about 25%, maybe as low as 20 because there is some data problems there. Okay, but people uh, will still people will still say, well, listen, like a quarter of the assets is is, is yep. a hell of a lot of money, yep. uh, and I, and that that would that would give a real kickstart to a provincial pension plan. It would provide a lot of options. So so what's involved in pulling that out? I mean, is it like you know you 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 go through the referendum, Albertans approve it, which I don't think is happening, by the way. But 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 let me ask you the question. Let's say fifty percent plus one or whatever it takes. Go, yeah, let's do it. Uh, Daniel Smith just lets the finance minister, federal finance minister know and then they strike us a check and then the next thing you know we're paving the streets with gold is it that easy well you're you're right to note that 25 percent is an enormous amount of assets you know by the middle of this decade they'd be equivalent to about 150 billion dollars so it's it's a lot and if we were to start up a separate plan with that amount of initial assets then my estimates are that the the contribution rates we'd need to pay are about 7.8%, uh, which is about 1.7% below what that minimum rate is for the Canada Pension Plan. And, and that's non-trivial savings, about $540 or so per worker, and then that again for employers. So there are some real benefits here for an Alberta Pension Plan, but ideally we wouldn't be using that money to uh, you know, pave infrastructure with gold, we would use that money and invest it in order to generate future returns to pay for retirement benefits. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got uh, all I, kinds of ideas on how we could use over $100 billion, but yeah. none of them are probably, I don't know that they would age well. Best case scenario is that these funds would be kept with a professional management group, you know, potentially even the CPP itself, not used for anything other than maximizing returns to pay for future retirement benefits. What but, do you mean? Uh, hang on, hang on. What do you mean keeping them with the CPP itself? That's like, you know, Alberta's going to separate from Canada, but we still want to use Canadian passports, the military and the RCMP. I don't, I don't think it's a, I mean, really? Well, that's certainly an idea that the premier put forward. There's no kind of mechanical reason why it couldn't occur. We would pay the CPP in order to manage these assets. Now, of course, they'd have to agree. There'd be some interesting politics there. I think probably more than likely they would not agree. I don't know. But yeah, it's got that flavor of the Quebec separation discussion in the 90s where, oh, we easily get access to all the free trade agreements. No problem. Yeah. Uh, use the same currency and so on. So I think there's there's real open questions there around how we would manage the assets. And I just think best case scenario is that it would be with a with an external uh, entity disconnected to the Alberta government, completely focused entirely on uh, maximizing returns. Uh, Johnny, can you tee up the uh, the audio clip from the podcast for me? Not the one of the premier on Real Talk, but the other one. Uh, we, we we've got some audio, doctor, that we're going to share with our with our audience members through the course of this episode. And and this one's interesting. This was Danielle Smith before she was premier of Alberta. Okay, but she was making a return into politics. Everybody knew that she was coming back. Uh, this was her speaking on a podcast in April of 2022 so about a year and a half ago talking about the idea of alberta pulling out of the cpp and and pay close attention real talkers to when she talks about how the money 
might be managed. Here it is. I even had been told that uh, the amount of revenues that are sitting in that CPP fund, $700 billion in assets, $400 billion are contributions that came from Alberta because we over-contribute. Well, if we had our own pension plan, not only would we be able to reduce the premiums to make it easier to hire workers, we'd also be able to increase the amount of money that we pay our seniors. And on top of that, we would develop a pot of money that we could choose to invest where we want to. Okay, so that's going to get people's attention. We can choose to invest it where we want to. And that's where I think people see red flags waving everywhere. I don't care if it's a conservative, liberal, NDP, or otherwise. Premier, Prime Minister, you name it. I don't want them anywhere near my pension that needs to hold up over the next, you know, Lord willing, 50 years. What jumps out at you from that clip? That, that, that is also not new sentiment. If we go back to the firewall letter that I, that I mentioned earlier, where this idea was quite prominent. In fact, the number one item on their list of asks that Alberta pursue is one of the rationales was to, quote, give Alberta control over the investment fund. And so it's been that stated objective of many proponents for the better part of a quarter century. And I, I do worry because anytime you have political interference in the management of a fund, the, the risk there is that these funds will be misallocated into activities, not based on the prospect of high returns, but because of other political considerations. And Alberta, you could easily see down the line, oil and gas having some challenges raising capital, perhaps, and it would then be provided with funds through a separate Alberta pension plan. And that's problematic in the sense that every little reduction in that investment return that a plan has comes at the cost of what workers need to pay in order to maintain the fund. You know, if you drop the return on investment by 1%, that eliminates entirely uh, Alberta's advantage relative to the CPP. So maximizing returns should be the core objective of these funds. And the CPP is uniquely insulated from political interference. It is not, as many people think, a purely federal program. It's a joint federal provincial program. And if at any point we wanted to change the mandate of the CPP, Prime Minister couldn't do that unilaterally. Mm. He'd have to get two-thirds of the provinces representing two-thirds of the population to agree to do it. And so that means that no single party, no single government, no single politician could change how the CPP is run. But that wouldn't be the case with a separate Alberta plan. There's you you uh you talk to any investment advisor at like the most basic level i mean if they're you know you're having a meeting at your bank with an investment representative and you're like 18 years old and you're setting something up for the first time chances are they're going to say to you diversify diversify divert right it's the same thing as real estate investors location locate there's like this basic understanding that that's kind of how it all begins if you want to have stability if you want it to stand the test of time everything i mean i, I think i'm preaching to the choir here including the audience um and 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 so it goes without saying that the concern that Albertans would have would be this pension fund, you know, this $150 billion or so would be used to prop up 
the oil and gas industry. It's obviously an incredibly important industry to Alberta and to Canada right now, and it's driven the economy. But we're seeing international investors pull out en masse in, in big, high-profile uh, exits from Alberta's oil sands and otherwise. I mean, I mean, do you just, as an Albertan, Trevor, somebody that pays into the CPP currently, is, is this something that concerns you, that, that this might, I mean, we've, we've seen this government, and, and I'm not even just talking Danielle Smith. I mean, Jason Kenney before her and conservative uh, premiers before them, uh, you know, investing in Keystone XL when, when it looked like a disaster, like in throwing money at things. Um, I think maybe even, to be honest, I sound cynical to score political points. Like, I, I bet you that the conservative government under Premier Jason Kenney had very good reason to believe that Alberta was going to lose the billion plus dollars that they put into Keystone XL, but they probably figured it was worth it. Uh, for the for for the the political points that they could score and for, and for the news stories that they would glean from that, I'm just asking you as an everyday person if that's something that is on your radar. So it, it's something that should be on all of our radar because every government, every party, you know, every order of government in Canada as well uses public funds to subsidize certain sectors, right? We're seeing it with battery production in Ontario with some pretty significant supports given to a couple producers of, of EV batteries there. So this is something that's always happening and the public should always be thinking about why they're happening. What's the market failure that the government's trying to overcome? Uh, and we can have a conversation about that. So here in Alberta, both the UCP and the NDP agree 100% that the public should subsidize petrochemical manufacturing activity, uh, you know, refinery activity, this sort of value added, if you will, uh, activity within that sector. And, and there's pros and cons to that. And I think when governments engage in that, they should do it with tax dollars. Uh, be clear about what the dollars are involved, make it clear that it's coming from people's taxes uh, and you know, here are the benefits and then people will evaluate whether those benefits are, are worth the cost. Doing it with pension funds kind of allows for those uh, subsidies to be provided in a way where the costs are not super clear to individuals because it doesn't affect you in the same way that you could translate a billion some dollars into a certain number of points off of the income tax for that year. Uh, so I'd say it's, it's fair enough for governments to, to provide support to industry if they want. I'm generally not a fan, but I can appreciate the, the, the arguments that, that people have, but they shouldn't do it with pensions, not at all. Do you, am I, am I reading this correctly? Um, and again, I'll refer people to your piece in the Globe and Mail, and, and we'll put the links to both that and your, and your paper, the deep dive in the show notes here for the podcast and YouTube. Um, but, but in your opinion piece, globeandmail.com, theglobeandmail.com, um, you write about how this is, you, you can exit the Canada Pension Plan, but there's no mechanism to enter it or That's to right. re-enter it. So in other words, let's say that the Alberta government under Premier Danielle Smith makes this move. And, th and then let's say, uh, you know, in, in 15 years, um, a moderate, pragmatic, middle of the road Alberta government led by Premier Jerome McGinley says we want to get <laughs> back. A guy can dream. We want to get back into the Canada pension plan. There's a, there's a good chance that th the answer would be too bad. So sad. Yep, indeed. You can leave. Any province can leave. There's no legal mechanism to prevent that. Provinces have full jurisdiction in this area. The only reason the feds do is because of two constitutional amendments, one in the 50s, one in the 
in the 60s. But with those, it was quite clear that provinces maintain uh, the power that they have in this area. But there's no provision in the Canada Pension Plan for a province to join. So the act would need to be amended, like from you know ground up, to allow for uh, a province to enter. We'd have to come up with you know what that might look like, and it would require not only the feds but also two thirds of the provinces representing two thirds of the population. So this is basically an irreversible decision, right? We can't rejoin the CPP if we leave, unless we can convince two thirds of the rest of the country to let us back in. Okay, so I'm not asking you to be a doomsday prophet at all. Uh, People uh, know you and recognize you for your measured, informed analysis. Let's say hypothetically um, that Alberta's energy industry, in particular oil and gas, continues to perform very well. Uh, Let's say for the next 15 years, people are talking about peak global demand 2030. I have nothing to base this on except my gut instinct. My gut tells me that maybe this goes a little bit longer than that. Let's say we get 15 good years out of it. And then let's say it slowly starts to decline. And let's say we haven't done a great job of diversifying. And let's say that Alberta finds itself back in sort of the mid-level performers of the Canadian provinces. And let's say 50 years from now, Alberta finds itself in a bit of a tough spot with an aging population or an aged population without all the things we're accustomed to, healthy infrastructure budgets and budget surpluses. And we're on our own with the Alberta pension plan. What could that look like for a province of, at that point, six, six and a half, seven million people and an economy that's languishing to a certain degree? Well, I will answer the question. I guess I'm very optimistic about the long term economic prospects for the province. Good. We're much more diversified than people give us credit for. We're okay, not good. just oil and gas. But so let, let's imagine that. And it is a real risk. Yes, some unforeseen thing happens in the future, and economically, we're not we're not performing as well as others, like Quebec. You know, for whatever reason, migration rates aren't in our favor. We age a little more quickly. That naturally comes with slowing economic growth as a larger fraction of the population retires. So, in that case, that would erode the contribution rate advantage that a separate plan would have. So, in the in, in the scenario that I think is most reasonable, we have about a 1.3 percentage point reduction in a separate plan relative to the CPP. But if we no longer have as favorable net migration flows into the province, then that falls uh, quite a bit. If we, f- if we just have balanced migration over the long term, the same number moving in as moving out, then that 1.3% advantage falls to 0.6. So a big chunk just disappears. And if in addition to that, we have, you know, changes in return on investment, say, right, just shave a couple tenths of a point off of the long run, long run return on that Alberta pension plan fund, and suddenly we have no advantage whatsoever. And so there are real risks to a separate plan, because migration is not something migration across provinces is not something that really matters for the CPP, but it matters critically for the long-term health of Alberta. So we would be gambling on a future many decades down the line that migration rates and in in this case, investment returns, demographics and and fertility rates kind of all work in Alberta's favor. Or we could find ourselves in a situation like Quebec, where we'd have to increase provincial contribution rates. And like Quebec, there is a potential where those contribution rates would have to be higher than the CPP. It's hard to say what's likely and what's not, but that's a risk. And that's what we should keep in mind. There is a benefit 
we're a younger province. And so mechanically, there's it's really hard to avoid that the contribution rate could come down in the short term, at least, or perhaps even the medium term, but there's higher risks to a separate plan. And because it is pensions, you know, a key part of people's retirement incomes, those risks should be taken very seriously. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say, well, hang on a second. You point out very quickly, you go, I know I'm bullish on Alberta's future. We're about a lot more than oil and gas. There's a lot of reason for optimism. Um, you and I share that sentiment. Uh, I think sometimes like this, you want to look at like, you know, when people are doing business projections, you, you don't want to project based on the rosiest outlook. You want to project based on like, you know, narrowly averting disaster and what might that look like. But I'm glad that you say that because I think it's important to reference like questioning this plan and digging deep into it and scrutinizing it does not make someone I tweeted about this last night an enemy of the state someone who should move to Ontario like I'm seeing a bunch of tweets suggesting I should get the hell out of here because we're not immediately supporting the plan if anything I think people care very deeply about this number one because it's mm -hmm. their pension or you know part of it and number two because they care about the province they love the province and, and, and their uh, feelings about the province and its role in Canada and, and all the things uh, extend outside election cycles. And so that's where this show is going to be. Uh, let me ask you this in closing, uh, Professor uh, Dr. Trevor Toom, our guest, and we sure appreciate your time. I want to know, in your opinion, what Alberta leaving would do to the rest of Canada and the CPP. For some people, you, you make, I mean, I know that there's a certain element of the Alberta population that doesn't give a rip about what the rest of Canada thinks and make that very clear with their bumper stickers and their flags and their tweets and their Facebook posts and you get the idea. But what's something that maybe people should consider along those lines? Right. And, and for some proponents of a separate plan, Alberta leaving causing contribution rates in the rest of the country to increase is one of the reasons for Alberta to leave. Like they view it as a way to poke Ottawa in the eye um, by having them incur this cost. But whether that happens depends on how much of the assets Alberta takes. So we had that conversation around 53 versus 25 or 20%. Uh, how much of the CPP fund is given to a separate Alberta fund? That's the critical variable for determining whether the CPP can continue as is or whether it would be challenged and would have to increase contribution rates. So if 20% if of the CPP fund is given to a separate Alberta plan, then CPP contribution rates elsewhere wouldn't actually need to increase. It could continue as is. If 53% of the fund is given to Alberta, then contribution rates elsewhere would need to increase by about one percentage point. So how much is hived off would determine what happens elsewhere. But in, in, either, ex in either extreme, those are kind of manageable pressures for the CPP. Dr. Trevor Toome is an economist at the University of Calgary uh, and uh, I think one of Canada's preeminent voices when it comes to common sense, nonpartisan analysis. We're always grateful when you share your expertise here on the show. Thanks for making time for us. Thank you. It's great to be on. All right, Doc. We'll talk to you again soon. Again, we'll, we'll send you uh, or, or Real Talkers will punch the links uh, for Dr. Toome's work into the show notes here so you can check it out and, and read it for yourself and, and kind of dig into it. Um, is this... Uh, I mean, is this something, Johnny, John Hicks, technical producer of this show, uh, are you like the, the average Canadian that's kind of just going, uh, I've seen the story in the news, uh, or have you been like paying 
attention to it? Are you stressing out about it? Are you excited about it? Well, now I am because I see the risk versus the reward, and I'm glad we're talking about it this week on the show. But yeah, it's something I think younger Canadians need to start thinking about as well, uh, their future and their Canadian pension plan. But I, I had no idea this was such a big issue in this province as of late, and I'm, I'm glad we're having people on this week to discuss it, including Trevor, who gave me some insight finally and, and helped me uh, understand a bit what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, did, we just wanted to go. We're going to get people like our next guest. Because uh, I think a lot of people are, they have no idea. <laughs> no idea. And, and the average, how would you? Like, yeah. you know, if you, if you go to the average person, like explain to me the nuances of the Canada pension plan or even how federal income taxes work. Or even if you ask for real, the average person about you know something like the carbon tax people have very strong feelings about it and then you say give me exact numbers they don't know yeah. they don't know <laughs> they just know that either they hate the politician i don't want to pay more tax behind it yeah. or they hate the idea of being taxed on top of taxes or or whatever and that's perfectly fine you can feel how you feel about things but we want uh, this audience and and for that matter we want people across the province of alberta and beyond um, in particular those that are going to be voting on this and and, and having their say to understand the factors at play, to, to understand what's at stake, to understand what it means for you. That's the whole point of this show. Um, we threw out an unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll uh, last night. It's been out for about 12 hours. You got it uh, approximately, if you're listening to this live, around 9 a.m. on Tuesday, you got about 12 hours left to contribute to it, to have your say. We asked simply, how do you feel about the proposed Alberta pension plan? Um, and we gave you three options. I mean, obviously, people are demanding more options. Uh, I said you're either initially yeah. against, initially in favor, or undecided. Um, of our respondents, and uh, as of right now, 1,700 on the nose, 1,700 of you uh, have voted. It's unofficial. It's Jeez. unscientific. Uh, 82% initially against the idea. About 9.5%, let's say 1 in 10, initially in favor of the idea. And about 8% are undecided. And we've invited you to to leave a comment as well on it. And, and a lot of you, like I said, are unhappy with the with the choices. Like Wayne goes, how is that a poll? He says, I'm dead set against it. What a ridiculous statement. Morgan says against. Willie says we moved to B.C. a few years ago, not yet drawing our CPP. Do we have a say in the referendum? Will it affect us as we worked our whole lives in Alberta? Says the UCP already moved my pension management from ATRF to AIMCO. So Willie uh, sounds like a retired teacher. Says I'm still pissed off about that one. Uh, Mary says she's totally against it. Robert uh, wonders if the UCP's explained anything about pension portability. Says part of the math appears to be screwing over anybody that spent part of their working life in Alberta and then left. I don't know. We'll have more details on that, on what that might look like. As mentioned, this is this is like kind of, you know, the beginning ish of our coverage on this. We've talked about it. As a matter of fact, you want to tee up uh, June 8th? This was a conversation with Danielle Smith recently. After I mean, This was uh, you know hours before she announced her cabinet. Um, and she gave Real Talk an exclusive, a one-on-one -on -one sit down in the Real Talk studio and um, didn't offer anything profound. Um, you'll find different tales of the tape. You know, Danielle it, Premier had said as leader of the UCP in the lead up to the election, we're not touching anyone's pension said no one's going to put their hands on your pension because people were asking about it. But it wasn't really, if you'll remember, something that people were talking about during the election. It wasn't part of the UCP's platform. It really wasn't even something that the NDP hit that hard because it's pretty tough to hit something hard just strategically uh, from a political strategy standpoint. If the other party's not talking about it and they're not running on it, it's pretty hard to crack hard on it without coming across as fear-mongering that's what the ucp would say well rachel not least fear-mongering she wants you to believe that we're going to do something we're not saying we're going to do 
And then the party gets elected. And as often happens in politics, then all of a sudden the answer changes a little bit. And so on June 8th, when Premier was sitting here in studio, we asked her. There was no talk of an Alberta pension plan during the campaign. What is your plan there and and when? Are you still convinced that that's a good idea? I would say that uh, the same thing I said before, we were waiting for the final report from, I think it's called LifeMark. They used to be Morneau Chappelle. They did an early report for us in 2021. We felt that uh, that conditions had changed so much that we wanted an update before we released that to the public. As soon as it becomes available, we'll run it through our caucus, we'll put it out to the public and we'll have a, a public conversation about it. Okay, so that is what they're doing right now uh so she is doing what she said she would do on real talk uh but you've probably seen clips from other talk shows that appear to come across a little bit different you know the the one clip in particular saying nobody's gonna touch your pension but with politicians as with some salespeople, lawyers and others and i'm not casting aspersions i'm just saying they go, well, did you check the small print? I mean, technically, we're not touching the pension. We're just moving it. Technically, we're not. I mean, maybe there was an asterisk there on that one. Michelle on the Twitter poll, if you're looking for it, it's on my Twitter at Ryan Jesperson, says I'm completely against it. Cameron says, I, I just don't trust a government that puts a pause on renewables, seems to wear rose-colored glasses when they talk oil and gas, and they don't really actually talk about how they'll actually invest the money, just that it'll cost us less. And like, apparently, we get half. And then he's got the uh, critical thinker. What do you call the the monocle? Is that the one eye thing? The monocle? Yeah, I call it the monopoly man. Emoji. The monopoly man. Every, well, because everybody listening knows <laughs> yeah. you gave them the vi- yeah. now you gave them the visual. Yeah. They know why does nobody wear monocles anymore? I, I think we should bring it back. They're probably just grossly uncomfortable. <laughs> I think is probably why. Another thing Trevor said that kind of scared me is that if we get out, we can't really get back into the CPP. But it's kind of like a done deal. Alberta after. is a proud province. Yeah, and so you never you couldn't come knocking on the door to come back no you know you, you just couldn't but do it if even you leave, if things you leave. went horribly wrong well and no this is to... where I, this is what i think people are, are wondering about is is this you know one of the steps toward ultimately a move for for alberta separation alberta mm-hmm. sovereignty alberta independence whatever you want to call it you know you, you get the pension out police force you establish an alberta police service or police force Apparently, cops don't like the word force anymore. They don't like to be called police forces. Police team. A police, police team. <laughs> uh, uh, Kathleen says, against is an understatement. Exceedingly mad would be closer. Uh, Parr says, I don't care what your political leanings are. Nobody should be for an Alberta pension plan. The CPP is well managed, and it keeps government hands from touching it and ruining it. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, you, you can read all these answers for yourself, and I appreciate a whole bunch of you. As I scroll through these, you can see I've got a few accounts muted. Sorry, not sorry. It's just the way that it goes. It comes with the territory. Some folks are just answering by gif, like like monkeys showing their a-holes through the glass at the zoo. Jeez. That's how A. Milton feels about the plan. God bless gifts. You know, like, how did we how did we actually really <laughs> convey how we felt about something before the gif was before available? Before the emojis and gifs. We before were the emojis. Silent. We, we didn't know what to do. <laughs> we had to use our words. Uh, Shannon Phillips is coming up in just a second. She's never, as far as I've known her or had a chance to interview her, had a tough time finding the words to express how she feels about something. So this should be interesting. From the official opposition finance critic, the elected MLA out of Lethbridge, uh, wanted to let you know that this podcast, this episode is happening with the support of sponsors like California Closets. 
If you're eager to find a storage solution for your entire home, anywhere in your home, and that's including the garage, it all starts with a free design consultation at californiaclosets.ca. That's what my wife Carrie and I did 10 years ago. Uh, we had a heritage home, and, and Johnny, like 110 years ago, they built closets to fit like three pairs of shoes and two dress shirts. <laughs> because you put your like toothbrush in there and it's full. And so we looked at the team at California Closets and said, we need some help. We want intuitive design. Uh, we're working with a certain budget, and we want something that's going to improve not just the value of the home, but our quality of life when we live in that home. And boy, did they deliver. We still love the installations to this day in our bedroom, in our common area, like our family room, where we've got an entertainment center and an art center for the kids. It's beautifully organized. And they're doing great work on garages as well. You know, like so many people kind of just ignore the garage, right? It's the workhorse of the home. It's where we throw our extension cords and our shovels and our snow tires in the summer and vice versa in the winter. And then you need to find something, forget about it. California Closets is designing garage storage systems that make enjoying hobbies and completing tasks that much easier. You can check them out online today at californiaclosets.ca. Our friends at Friesen Brothers are inviting you to visit them this week. 16 different locations, soon to be 17 in the spring across the province of Alberta. Thanksgiving is coming and the Thanksgiving dinner box by catering uh, by Friesen Brothers is available to order right now. It's a chef prepared dinner box. It's super easy to reheat. We've got this before when we're entertaining family. It is the best idea. The table's being set. It feeds up to four people, includes traditional Thanksgiving treats like roasted turkey, homemade cranberry sauce, gravy, tray buns. Uh, You've got roasted baby potatoes, root veg on the side. Then you can add on stuff like handcrafted fruit or pumpkin pies. And, of course, Grammy's Granny's famous stuffing. You can order at the deli counter at your local Friesen Brothers or online at cateringbyfriesen.com slash Thanksgiving box. You need it for 40 people? Just order 10 of them, and the price is right. If I remember correctly off the top of my head, it's like $15 a person, man. It's amazing. It honestly, I mean, I know some people get really, and and if this is you, that's great. But they get really sentimental about making their own things. You know, want to use like grandma's recipe course, or yeah. grandpa's stuffing or whatever. Yeah. That's fine. It's fine if you want to spend eight hours in the kitchen while everybody else is mm-hmm. having a great time in the family room or outside. Mm-hmm. But if you'd rather just spend fifteen dollars per guest, yeah, and chill with everybody else while the meal heats up, you it's do none of the work and take all of the praise. You can do it at Friesen.com. and they get the veggie options too. We're going there for our tofurkey. We're going there for our ah. mushroom-based gravy. We're going there to grab our sourdough bread to have with our meal. And we're getting, the, of course, the half pie. The half pie. Conservative amount of pie. Off, will you knock it off with the half pie? <laughs> I don't know why I'm I annoyed I just love that I... you can get a half pie at Friesen. I just yeah. love that you can get the whole or the half. But whatever happens to the other half of the pie. <laughs> hey, I real do. talk. Real talk. How does the tofurkey stand up? Like it's you, amazing. You, in a previous life, you used to taste real turkey. Yeah. Is it, is, and I've tried. Up? I've tried several different kinds, and and the tofurkey, the one we get from Friesen, is is by far the best. Yeah. Shannon Phillips is like, you guys going to talk about Thanksgiving dinner for like half an hour? <laughs> Are you going to bring? Before we get to her, I want to also just remind you that we're we're so proud to partner with Complete Care Restoration on building this beautiful studio. You know, we had a budget, we had a big vision, we had a plan, and we needed to trust the contractor that was going to build this space out. It's. Well, it's quite frankly the biggest swing that we've ever taken as entrepreneurs. And the minute that we met them, we knew that we could trust them with our project. Now, they're known across the province of Alberta for what they've done for folks experiencing the nightmares of fire damage, flood damage, mold, and asbestos. But 
If you've got a construction or renovation project, maybe you're converting some office space, uh, take a look at Complete Care Restoration's track record. We give them two thumbs up. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca or give them a call 780-454-0776. Shannon Phillips is uh, a veteran MLA, uh, re-elected at least a couple of times. She served as a government minister, particularly of environment and parks, and now she's serving in an opposition role as the finance critic as the MLA out of Lethbridge. It's been a while since we've chatted. It's nice to see your face. Sorry to keep you waiting while Johnny and I were musing about our Thanksgiving dinner plans. What's yours, by the way? I'm uh, going to have some dinner with my family because it's my mom's 75th birthday. Ooh. And uh, sisters and I are going to congregate in Calgary. And do you guys do you guys have like the big family recipes and somebody's responsible for the mashed potatoes and they spend like an hour making them perfect? Or how does that go? I'm leaving it all to my sister in Calgary. It's best not to meddle. Smart, as Sam Neill says in Jurassic Park. Clever girl. That's a very good plan. I like that. Hey, so everybody's going to go. Well, Shannon Phillips is going to come on Real Talk, and and she and Ryan's going to tee up the Alberta pension plan idea, and she is just going to pull out her blowtorch and just scorch this thing to smithereens. Um, so obviously we know you're going to oppose this. In theory, that's your role as an opposition critic but but you know where are you landing on this like what, what's jumping out at you let's get into you know how you feel about the idea you've had a lot of time to think about it i'm sure well it's a monumentally stupid idea to be gambling with albertans pensions like this it really is and you know what we've heard over the last two weeks from albertans is exactly what we heard during the election campaign which is why the government did not talk about this during the election campaign it has just been an overwhelming just an absolute tsunami of opposition I, uh, into my email inbox alone as a local mla i've had uh, about 1500 emails overwhelming opposition. Uh, we've had about 15,000 or more responses to our survey already, overwhelming opposition. So, it, you know, th there's a reason why pollsters are reporting, you know, 75% of Albertans oppose this uh, idea, even going back to the Fair Deal panel, when they first trotted this out in uh, the fall of 2019, overwhelming opposition from Albertans. It is confusing as to why the use CP wants to walk straight in to this particular electoral uh, uh, buzzsaw, but they've chosen to do it. They've convinced themselves of a bunch of stuff that isn't true. Uh, so what we're just going to have to do here is make sure that the vast majority of Albertans are heard uh, by this government and we shut this down. 1,500 emails is a lot um, for any issue. Where would that stack up? I mean, you, you're in Southern Alberta, obviously. Are you talking to us from Lethbridge today, by the way? Yes, I am. Okay, yeah. so you and and you were, uh, I mean, you've obviously been involved in in environmental. Uh, I mean, as minister of environment and parks before, and, and and all the stuff around the crow's nest pass, and then coal mining in the eastern slopes, like ish off the top of your head. How many emails did you get about coal mining in the eastern slopes? Oh, I would say it's uh, around the same because okay. that too is one of those issues that's about three quarters of Albertans, at least those who are, you know, sort of in Southern Alberta that are affected. I'm talking about just people in Lethbridge reaching out to me, you know, in Lethbridge mm -hmm. East and Lethbridge West. I'm not talking about, you know, what my colleagues are getting or, you know, so we've had just like an overwhelming and it's been a very organic 
organic uh, uh, response, right? This is people taking it upon themselves to uh, uh, unburden themselves with an email to to me and, you know, CCing either the Premier or uh, uh, the UCP MLA over in Lethbridge East. So it, this is a very, very large response. And it goes to show you that Albertans are just really, really uncomfortable with this idea of gambling with their retirement. Uh, uh, that's the risk that people see. It's the risk to what their benefits might be through to the future, the the political risk and political interference that this uh, uh, proposal I introduces, uh, the, the fact that the government is then distracted from what should be its real priorities, which is restoring affordability, housing, health care, those kinds of crises, uh, and also the risk of being able to retire somewhere else or bring your pension uh, contributions from somewhere else if you're moving to Alberta. It's those kinds of things that make people really, really uncomfortable. So, you know, people are going to say, well, uh, you know, the, the, the promise of uh, lower contributions and higher returns and, and immediately more benefits for seniors that are collecting the pension could could will sway some people's opinion on whether or not this is a good idea. Do you have reason to believe that that's not true? Well, there's no way that that premise is true, right? So they're putting something before Albertans that has been described as invented, uh, as transparently unreasonable. Uh, and I'll leave it to the experts to to wrangle over what is more reasonable. The fact of the matter is, is that what's been put before Albertans, the case that, that uh, Danielle Smith has put before Albertans is not true. It is a fairy tale. And so now they're going to spend millions of our dollars to try to sell us on this idea that it's a good idea to gamble with our retirement savings. So far, Albertans are not buying it simply because they do not trust Daniel Smith and the UCP, not with this and not with a number of other uh, 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 files such as healthcare. Uh, what do you like? What are people's options? I mean, I, obviously, I, you know, there's this survey that people are taking um, and and I've seen it described as a push poll. People aren't happy. Basically, they, they sort of I think a lot of folks are looking to see a, a referendum esque question on the survey. You know, do you support it or do you not support it? Uh, whereas the survey is a little bit more for anybody that's taken it. They know it's a little bit more like what type of Alberta pension would you like? Um but what other option do you have? I mean, I'm, I'm hearing a rumor that this is going to be bill one. This is like the first order of business is I don't know if you've heard the same thing, but like bill one uh, when the fall session uh, kicks off at the legislature at the end of this month. Uh, have you heard that? I have not heard that, although I wouldn't be surprised. Danielle Smith is very, uh, she's got dollar signs in her eyes with with respect to what that uh, basic number should be. And she thinks she can sell Albertans on a bill of goods on uh, a promise of something that is not true. Uh, and uh, I do not know why they are focusing on this as opposed to the real priorities, which are things like economic development, economic diversification, restoring affordability, uh, bringing down people's bills, uh, taking action on health care. That's what Albertans say time and again that they want uh, their government to focus on. Um, it, it, you know, that that's, is absolute garbage. It does not ask Albertans the very simple up-down question, which is, do you want to leave the CPP? And that is why we launched a survey of our own at albertasfuture.ca. just asks a very simple question. It takes two minutes to fill it out, and people should. Um, and so, you know, if they want to make this their number one priority, I, I can assure the government that it is a number one priority of Albertans to safeguard their CPP, to safeguard their retirement savings, uh, and uh, to make make sure that no one gambles with their pension.
Uh, I, I was speculating earlier about what it may have been like on the, on the campaign trail, and, and I'm hoping you can sort of take us behind the curtain. When I talked to Premier on June 8th in studio, asked her about the Alberta pension plan. She didn't talk much about it. She, she said they were going to do what they are doing now. She said, we're waiting for the report. We're going to review it with caucus, and then we'll put it out to the public. And that kind of is what they're doing. Uh, but we wondered that, you know, I did note to her, I said there was like little to no talk about this during election campaign. And then I suspected that it, that it may have been something difficult for you and your colleagues, for your party, uh, to hit hard during the election campaign without coming across as or susceptible to being described as conspiracy theorists, as fear mongers, because the UCP wasn't campaigning on it. Now, it's a whole different conversation when a government makes a move on something they didn't campaign on. Uh, but is that true? Was there a certain element of truth to that? Was it frustrating for you, if so, that this wasn't more of an election issue? Well, you know, they've had this report, they've been, they commissioned it three years ago, and they've been sitting on it for a long time. We suspect that one of the reasons why they've been hatching this egg uh, for this long is because they didn't want to have the public conversation. We also suspect that they sent it back to the drawing board to make that number a lot more impressive over the years. Uh, uh, but uh, they hid it. There's no question they hid this uh, uh, report through the election campaign because they knew how unpopular this was. Now, I will say on the doorsteps, Ryan, that uh, there is no question that this issue would come up organically. We didn't even necessarily have to Approach it, but in particular among older voters, I guess I'm in that category now. The sort of over 45 voters, uh, they it would come up just uh, as something they bring up, not that something we necessarily had to bring up. That they were afraid that uh, Danielle Smith was going to gamble with their pension. Uh, they did not trust her or the UCP, and it was a vote motivator uh, for a lot of people. I think it's what accounted for a lot of that PC NDP switching uh, uh, in ridings like Lethbridge East, in uh, uh, certainly in in ridings like Lethbridge West, where I won with a lot. Much larger margin. And the issue there was trust of Danielle Smith. She has just confirmed all of those voters' doubts about her. Uh, and I think even those who reluctantly uh, placed that ballot with the UCP, I think she what she's done here is confirmed a lot of the doubts that people had on the way uh, into the ballot box, particularly among older voters, but not exclusively so. What's something else uh, outside of this? I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about this and and, and some people are even suggesting I, I, I'm hesitant to endorse this because I think it I think it's a little disingenuous to suggest that this is just a big smoke screen to distract Albertans from other things. But it is a stick. Skill or a tactic that politicians can use. Talk a lot about this. Look at the shiny things over here so nobody pays attention to what's going on over here. What's something else that you're keeping an eye on right now? Well, I think that just it kind of attributes a lot more 3D chess to the, uh, to this government than they're actually capable of. Uh, I, I think what they are focusing on is that big number, and and they've apparently lied to themselves, so they think they can lie to others uh, about what some uh, you know very very notional uh, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow might look like for an Alberta pension plan. I I do think that that's what's motivating them, uh, and of course there's that undercurrent of sort of separation, right? Uh, uh, that uh, we might be able to go it alone in some kind of fantasy world instead of living in a country. Uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons why Albertans oppose this so much is because they want to uh, take advantage of the the uh, very clear advantages uh, of being Canadian, one of which is the Canada Pension Plan, which is well invested uh, and 
uh, well managed and those benefits will be there for us. Um, I, I, I mean, there are other issues, though, that this is detracting from. There is only so much bandwidth within government. And if you're focused, you know, with your millions of dollars of ad campaign, you know, at 7.5 million, the report itself costs just shy of 2 million, which is a lot of money, which tells me that they sent it back to the drawing board a lot of times. Um, and, and then you've got this panel and this dog and pony show and so on. You are not then focused on things like uh, affordability, bringing down uh, costs for Albertans. You're not focused on those skyrocketing electricity bills that I'm hearing uh, uh, from Albertans uh, because this government has absolutely failed to protect consumers at a very basic level. You're not focused on making sure that you can attract and retain physicians uh, at nurses and others, which is, again, what we hear uh, from Albertans that they really want the, the government to focus on. I'm blown away that more news outlets, that more talk shows in Alberta aren't talking about the cost of electricity in the province right now. Um, as this show has reported and discussed up on average, 128% year over year, which is bonkers. Anybody's costs increasing 128% on average year over year. Uh, it should be national, if not international news. The next closest province, uh, for the record, number two on the list, you don't want to be number one or number two on this list, is 12%. So we're 10 times the second place. Some people say it's because Alberta fast-tracked shutting down coal plants. Some people say that it's Rachel Notley's fault. It's, it's a residual impact from her term as Premier 2015 to 2019. Some people say it's because of what Jason Kenney did or because Danielle Smith is failing to act. What's your, as finance critic, uh, understanding, interpretation of, explanation of why this is happening right now and what do you think should be done about it? Well, I don't want to geek out too much on this uh, topic, uh, Ryan, but certainly there has been a change in offer behavior uh, over the last five to, to six years from the big generators. So government has a couple of options in that case. Number one, you probably want more generation onto the grid. So uh, slamming the door on new renewables investments, really bad idea. In the short term, government should definitely be capping that what's called the regulated rate option, which doesn't feel regulated to consumers at all. That's the piece that's gone through the roof for people. That's the piece that I'm hearing from folks of a $500 bill and there's like two people in the house. Um, if you're not on one of those contracts, you are really, really hurting right now. And government hasn't, they knew this was coming. They knew that the summer spikes were coming. We could all see it uh, even prior to the election. And so that short-term cap of that, uh, what they call the RRO, the regulated rate, and then making sure that Albertans can access those contracts, which are far lower and far more predictable pricing, um, at those that can't, I, 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 you know, access them because of credit reasons or other reasons, making that easier for them, making sure that even the utility consumer advocate, who are folks who are doing good job uh, over there, making sure that that that's a thing you might want to spend a little bit of government advertising on, get that in front of people's faces so that they know their options, so that they know that they can get onto a contract and and mitigate some of those price spikes that we know are, are going to happen into the foreseeable future. But they've done absolutely nothing to help people. And, you know, I was just listening to uh, uh, the radio last night and one of the uh, uh, folks on, you know, the pop radio station was talking about her $500 bill for her herself in her uh, uh, little house, yeah. right? And she was asking listeners for, you know, help on how to deal with this. So, um, you know, people don't know necessarily that they can get onto contract, but, uh, uh, and they should, uh, but in that short term government over the summer should have capped those bills for people and, and made sure that people knew what their long-term options were.
Uh, I should mention that people can check out the Utilities Consumer Advocate, which is also, I, th- I think, a good resource. I've seen a lot of people just anecdotally uh, on Twitter saying that I saw one entrepreneur, a chef in Edmonton, said he saved like hundreds of dollars a month just by visiting ucahelps.alberta.ca. Uh, it's a tool that people can use to try to cut energy costs. Um, I wanted to ask you as well about, in your hometown, I know this is something you care deeply about, and I think most people know that the opioid crisis is relevant in Alberta. It's relevant across Canada and around the world. But in your home city in particular, uh, a, a, an agency by the name of Arches uh, saw much of, if not all of its funding pulled uh, over the past number of months. And I think that the ripple effect, which sounds like a, an, an insufficient uh, phrase to use to describe what's happening down there, but it's evident, it's tragic, it's infuriating. I'm citing uh, reporting by Lethbridge News now, a record 56 overdose deaths in the first four months of this year in Lethbridge. It ties a single month record in April. 20 human beings died uh, from overdose in Lethbridge, and the rate um, is 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 leading uh, not just the province. It's one of the highest rates of overdose in the country. Um, I know that you have to go, but just a quick comment on this, if you wouldn't mind, and maybe what you're doing as an elected representative to stand up for these people. Well, look, you have uh, multiple crises here. You have a healthcare crisis uh, where we just simply do not have the primary care available to people, whether it's physicians, whether it's nurse practitioners, uh, RNs, uh, though that uh, uh, frontline uh, uh, workers and responders are just absolutely stressed to the eyeballs uh, in terms of them being the only resource for people. There's nothing to do with people once you have uh, responded to uh, crises on the street or elsewhere. Uh, there's not enough uh, uh, treatment facilities. There's not enough primary health care. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a lot of barriers to uh, uh, any permanent supportive housing. There's none really. Uh, uh, any of those um, um, medically assisted detox and so on, the, the lines are backed up. Uh, and then the, there's a housing crisis. Uh, and um, so you see it every day. It's getting worse and worse every year. Um, I, I recently went to the States and I took my 14 year old. I went to, on a conference. It was in Louisiana and there's a lot of homelessness in New Orleans. Right. And my, my 14 year old says to me, you know, there's a lot less homelessness here than there is in Lethbridge. What an astonishing statement huh. uh, for, you know, uh, a place with, you know, a massive inequality. It was he was just seeing a snapshot, but you get the idea. Right. Uh, that's how much visible homelessness that we have in a city of 100,000. We've got, you know, uh, uh, people all around the shelter just sleeping rough and and uh, uh, just crisis upon crisis. There is no robust housing uh, investment in this city. And that's something that I've uh, uh, decided that I am going to really focus on since the election, that I can really highlight that I can use uh, I, my, my profile to be able to advocate for more permanent supportive housing, more, uh, 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 you know, just social housing investment, and then more mixed market uh, housing. We need it all here in Lesbridge. Uh, we need to say yes to all of those uh, different projects. And uh, so far, the government's come up empty handed. Uh, Shannon Phillips is the elected MLA out of uh, Lethbridge West. She is the official opposition finance critic. We appreciate your time and, and thanks for letting us take you into overtime. Thank you. OK, Shannon. Um, you can let us know what you think about that. I, I saw somebody in the in, in the live chat. I know that I shouldn't even respond to this. Charles Adler used to say to me, don't respond to those types of comments. He said it makes your show look small when don't you respond feed to those the junkyard things. dogs. Don't, don't feed the junkyard <laughs> dogs. Don't feed the trolls. Yeah. But I saw somebody coming in there and it's predictable. Like, you know, if Rachel Notley or Shannon Phillips or Rocky Pencholi or whoever else comes on the show and they'll say, Jesperson's an N- NDP shill and he's carrying water for the NDP. And all he does is criticize the conservatives, you know, mm-hmm. forgetting that 
you know, we just played you a clip of the conservative premier, Danielle Smith, in studio and, and you know, you, you know, conservative environment minister Rebecca Schultz that's been in studio and others. And we're going to hear from, like I said at the beginning of this episode, people that are championing, that are advocating for the Alberta pension. Uh, we invite you to join the conversation. We want you to have all of the information. Uh, I know that for some of you, you're used to talk shows that only do half the work. Right. They reach out to press secretaries on their favorite political team and they say, who do you got for me tomorrow? And then the press secretary gives them the minister or gives them the politician that they like. You know, federally, if it's a conservative opposition MP, they'll get you that. They'll get you the talking points. Let me say I've been in jobs like that. They're very easy. They're very simple. It's light lifting, John. You show up. You, you can read the pre-prepared questions mm-hmm. if you choose. And then you can be on the tee box by 10 in the morning and golf your way. It's just a great living to make. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice, light lifting. Yeah. But when we launched this, we sensed that people might have an appetite for real talk, for conversation that here's folks from over here and here's, here's folks from over here and throws it all in the blender and then invites you to come to an informed conclusion. So you're going to hear different opinions on this and it'll happen over a series of shows because we don't just do nine hours in one day, right? It's why you'll hear people, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, Paul McLaughlin president of the rural municipalities of Alberta coming on the show and saying we think that the wind and solar moratorium is a great idea and then you'll have other folks coming on saying that that, that is what did Shannon say today about the pension plan a, not a horrifically a stupendously stu- something I forget she, the words she, she used just monumentally stupid idea you know you'll have somebody saying the same thing about the wind and solar moratorium or whatever else uh, and sometimes people don't like having their perspectives challenged. Sometimes people don't like hearing from elected representatives from the other side of the aisle or the other side of the house or whatever the case may be. But if that's the case with you, then then maybe this isn't the talk show for you. If you don't like to be fully informed, if you don't like to be made uncomfortable, if you don't like to think outside of political talking points or, or just kind of the easy partisan rebuttals or retorts, then, you know, there's other places you can go. But if you want to be informed, engaged, be the smartest person in the room when your kids hockey practice or, or when you're gathering at, at the workplace and people are talking about this stuff, then... We're happy to have you right here on Real Talk. Tell your friends about it. Share our content. Subscribe to our podcast. And you can subscribe on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we are grateful for the sponsors that uh, ensure that this show happens day in and day out. And that includes the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Today, I want to talk to you. And not just because it's so fun to say, but also because it's the best in the business. I want to talk to you about the sauced and tossed honey barbecue glazed chicken strip basket. You know, people used to say, how was Johnny at that wedding reception? We say he was sauced and then he was tossed. (laughs) But this is completely different. This is crispy chicken strips doused with your favorite wing sauce. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sweet, savory. They've got all your cravings covered with their honey barbecue sauced and tossed chicken strip basket. In fact, 100% seasoned all tenderloin chicken strips, and that's a big deal. All tenderloin. It's not the mishmash that you get from the other guys. Covered with their signature honey barbecue sauce, it's like having your favorite wing joint pop up at your local DQ restaurant. You can pick up your sauced and tossed honey barbecue glazed chicken strip basket at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. You make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. If your dog, uh, your beloved 
furry family member or even your cat is experiencing digestive issues, if there's something with their coat that's just not looking right, maybe they're limping due to age or, or something else, have you considered feeding them a raw diet? I want to encourage you to check out Grand Dog ca uh, we've been feeding our two dogs monroe and moses grand dog essentials quality raw food for long before we've done business with the company and we have seen the return on that investment we have seen the health benefits there are so many reasons to consider a raw diet for your pet and you can learn more about that on their website again granddog.ca you can check out the blog link the frequently asked questions for some of you i know it may feel like a big decision but you might find out that switching to a raw diet even paying for a raw diet is not as big of a deal as you might think Don't forget, they'll deliver to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. And the promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time order from Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. It was a really busy month for our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. We want to give them a big shout-out. And I'm always telling you to follow their Instagram because there's some great tips right now. As a matter of fact, Johnny, I'm going to call that up. Instagram.com slash Kubi Energy. Simple to find on there. And when we're talking about electricity prices and how they're absolutely through the roof right now, I'm going to put something else up on your roof, John. See what I did there? Why not call the team at Kubi Renewable Energy? They've got Tesla certified installers. You're never going to have a newbie up on your roof. These are either apprentices or full-blown ticketed electricians that are up there doing the installs. And they're there to answer your questions as well. Like, do solar panels still work if it's cloudy? You can learn more about solar and its reliability, its storage potential through the year. And you can also get some really quick tips on how you can cut down your electricity consumption by following Kubi Renewable Energy on Instagram. Don't forget they're hiring right now. You can check out kubienergy.ca. And if you're starting to dream this winter about overhauling your outdoor space, if you want that project to kick off in the spring, this is a perfect time to start the conversation with Eden Landscaping. They're experts, custom landscape builders with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton, Alberta, and surrounding area. I mean, the Metro Edmonton region, quite frankly, and you can see their work in in Balmoral Heights, in Sherwood Park, in St. Albert, right in Edmonton's inner city, where we live. Working with Eden Landscaping is an exceptional experience because of their design expertise. They're great listeners. Through the project, they never lose sight of their goal, which is making your vision come to life. You can connect with Eden Landscaping by checking out Landscape Edmonton, .ca. Wanted to give a shout out to Ken today. I wanted him to know that we saw him in the live yeah. chat. That super chat there throwing us five Love bucks. Uh, he said, there's no reason I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in five bucks uh, to Real Talk today, except for simply that they had Trevor Toom on. He appreciates his <laughs> yeah. analysis. And I was thinking our studio audience loves to see it. Um, we might need to throw that five bucks into a beer kitty. So if we ever run into like Trevor Toom in person mm-hmm. out and about, we can buy him a cold one from Ken. Yeah. What do you goes think about it? Like, goes like into our idea. rainy day fund. We I should like have a bucket. Idea. I think that's a good idea. Halloween just around the corner. And I know you got the kidlets. Uh-huh. What, what are they thinking of dressing up as? Uh, I, I am not at liberty uh, to, to discuss. To, is that like? Is that how it is? Is it like a reveal? Yeah, every there's time? a re- there's a reveal every time. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so this is more my wife's department. I mean, I contribute. You do the but, family thing, right? Yeah, we do that. We do family costumes. Yes. 
And so we have a big undertaking. Yeah. I mean, if you do you guys have like I'm going to I'm going to pull up one and I'll show it to you here on the screen. We'll describe it for people listening on the podcast. Do you have a plan is like is little Priscilla going to be dressing up? We do. We do the uh, dog and and couple uh, costume. I don't know. We we were going to be she was going to be a little uh, Puppuccino and I was going to be a Starbucks barista. My wife was going to be like the mermaid off the logo. But now we've kind of switched it up. I was just looking at the most popular costumes uh, for 2023. Looks like Cowgirl Barbie coming in at number one. Cowgirl you know Barbie. how many Barbies there are going to be this Halloween That'd after be a the lot. sensation Barbie and Ken. of the movie? Barbie. There's Ken. boyfriends and pals everywhere that are like doing every stomach crunch that they can oh, possibly yeah. muster before. They're going to do October. There's a lot of bros they're getting gonna, ready they're to gonna be Ken's sw- Yeah, they'll swear off booze all month. They're going to oh, try yeah. to lose 15 pounds so they can squeeze into their Ken costume. They're dye their hair blonde. Yeah. They're going to get all into the character. Yeah, Barbie will be a yeah. big one. You're yeah. right. Well, the top three is Barbie. Wednesday Adams still a big one uh, after, uh, of course, the uh, TV show on Netflix getting a lot of play. And then number three is Mario, of course, again, from the movie. Mario! It always, it always follows movies, like usually the top trends for costumes for Halloween. So Yeah. Um, here, here's one so you can check this out you can follow me on instagram at ryan jesperson if this you like. one was amazing this is from 2021 uh our little wyatt he wanted to be and he came up he cooked up this idea that's great yeah he was playing uh hockey and he was fascinated as many little guys are with the zamboni and he thought well what if there was a zombie zamboni what if a i could zamboni. dress up as a zamboni <laughs> and so so he did and mama built him a zamboni and uh he became the zamboni driver and we all had our makeup done. And uh, Carrie, who used to be a competitive figure skater, uh, dressed up as, as the zombie figure skater. I was the zombie hockey player. And then our two dogs, Moses and Monroe, were the pylons. Perfect. So the Zamboni could work. But now you got to add in a, 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 what, a sixth character. Right? We got little Noah got little Bear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Baby's second Halloween. So, yeah, last year he was uh, Wyatt. <laughs> last, I don't have a photo handy, but this is hilarious. Uh, Wyatt, Carrie asked him last Halloween, what do you want to be? He said, I want to be. A clogged toilet. I remember this. So, so literally, Carrie built. I, she's unbelievable, and she puts like a, a ton of work into this. Yeah. And the brainstorming stage is amazing to watch. And so she created this costume where Wyatt had like the toilet tank behind his head. Yeah. And then he had like the the bowl in front of him. And and then he, they had like all kinds of like tissue paper and all kind. It just looked nasty. Yeah. And and so adults would come up and say, and it wasn't quite clear what he was. I mean, it was clear, but they would they didn't assume he was a clogged toilet. And so they would say, <laughs> "What are you?" He'd walk up to the door, trick or treat. They'd say, "What are you, little?" He'd say, "I'm a clogged toilet." People just go. <laughs> That's what we thought. Okay, <laughs> bathroom costumes. We did. Uh, we did. I did. Uh, I was a bar of soap. My wife was a loofah t- uh, a few years ago, and and the dog. We dressed little Priscilla up as a, as a rubber ducky. Put a little raincoat on her and a and a duck bill. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, but yeah, we do that too as well. I'm I'm wondering uh, this year. Halloween's kind of weird this year. If you, if you're a young person going out because it's on like, you know, the 28th is a Saturday. Oh, so. right. Yeah, and I think it's also kind of weird going out on like a... So that means... Tuesday night, yeah. Yeah, it's Tuesday night for kids to go out trick-or-treating. Weird. Yeah, maybe we should take the Wednesday morning off. I don't know. Why? Oh, well, I don't know. I just don't know if you're planning... Are you getting, <laughs> planning on getting into one? No. This year, I, 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 I did... I, uh, I'm going to omit myself from DJing. Halloween parties, DJing for, for DJs is crazy because they started like... Big money, right? 4 p.m. and the buses and the buses yeah. and the buses and, and, and it goes to like 3 a.m. So I'm opting out this year. I'm going to have a chill one. Okay. Um, wanted to end with this. We're going from light talk and fun talk about Halloween uh, to about as serious as it gets. 
uh, World War II. But after our conversation with Charles Adler yesterday, and and we were looking forward to, to reconnecting with Charles and, quite frankly, reconnecting with you, Real Talkers. We, as you know, we were away for a week working on other stuff. And, and so, of course, we were going to talk about uh, a former Nazi SS soldier, like, applauded, saluted, basically, in the House of Commons. An embarrassment for the entire country. Obviously, a huge political issue for the prime minister. It, it, it's, it's demanded the resignation of Anthony Rota, the Speaker of the House, and that happened. Um, we asked Chuck about it. Uh, and, and we've asked you to share your feedback with us. And and I've got a, an email here that I want to read from Tina D. Uh, Tina wrote in, and, and this is kind of along the lines. And Johnny, I'm going to come to you after on this, because you and I just at a, at a, a sort of an entry level, just our real talk, our real feelings. After we signed off yesterday, yeah, you and I had a conversation about what it would have been like to be a 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old in that region at that time. Mm-hmm. And Tina, I really appreciate where she's gone with this. She says, I found your conversation with Charles Adler on Monday morning. Very interesting, especially when Mr. Adler said people who know the history of World War II understand the horror of the Nazis during that war. Uh, Tina says, but unfortunately, I do not believe you looked at the entire history of the Soviet Union and how communist policies affected Ukrainians at that time. It says there was no mention in your conversation of the Holodomor, a genocide perpetrated by Stalin on Ukrainian people in the early 1930s. The Soviet Union under Stalin wanted to make an example of Ukrainians. Uh, Ukraine, with its history of resistance to Soviet rule, was a threat to that regime. Fearing that opposition to his policies in Ukraine could intensify and possibly lead to Ukraine's secession from the Soviet Union, Stalin set unrealistically high grain procurement quotas. Uh, the quotas were accompanied by other draconian measures intended to wipe out a significant part of the Ukrainian nation. In August of 1932, the decree of five stalks of grain stated that anyone, even a child, caught taking any produce from a collective field could be shot or imprisoned for stealing so-called socialist property. And at the beginning of the next year, 1933, about 55,000 people were tried and sentenced of those 2,000 were executed. As the famine escalated, growing numbers of farmers left their villages in search of food outside of Ukraine. A directive sent by Stalin and Molotov, Stalin's closest collaborator in January of that year, prevented them from leaving, effectively sealing the borders of Ukraine. So... To escape death by starvation, people in the villages ate anything that was edible. Grass, acorns, cats, dogs. Contemporary Soviet police archives contain descriptions of immense suffering and disrepair of Ukrainian farmers and their families who were forced in extreme circumstances even into cannibalism to save themselves and their children from starvation. At the height of the Holodomor in June of 1933, Ukrainians were dying at a rate of 28,000 people per day. While Ukrainians were dying, the Soviet state extracted more than 4 million tons of grain from Ukraine in 1932, enough to feed at least 12 million people for an entire year. Soviet records show that in January of 1933, there were enough grain reserves in the USSR to feed well over 10 million people. The most detailed demographic studies estimate the death toll at nearly 4 million. Historians agree that as with other genocides, the precise number will never be known. According to more recent studies, 13.3% of Ukraine's population died at the time of the Holodomor. What would you do if 13% of Canada's population had been wiped out by a hostile country? Would you then sign up to fight the country, fight for the country that was responsible for that genocide, that was responsible for the deaths of your family, your neighbors, your friends? Or would you align yourself with another country that might provide protection from the monster who committed such a vile act of genocide. 
Tina says, the point of me writing is to simply point out that history is never black and white. Was Nazi Germany a disgusting fascist regime that caused destruction, devastation wherever it went, that perpetrated a genocide against millions of people? Of course. But so was the Soviet Union and Stalin. Hindsight is perfect. But at the time, it wasn't clear to millions of people that fascism was wrong. Sold-out crowds attended fascist speaking events all over the world, including in Edmonton. And Tina's right. She says, I'm just glad, hopefully, that I'll never be forced to decide between two monstrous regimes, as Ukrainians were forced to do in World War II. That from Tina D. And I sure appreciate that thought. Mm-hmm. You and I were talking briefly, and, and, and this is, she's not giving the Nazis a pass. She's not giving no. Adolf Hitler a and pass. And it's a sticky it's a touchy subject. I think she's just pointing out, well, she is pointing out that, that many young people, and this is not to justify or give a pass on anything, were faced with impossibly difficult decisions, mm-hmm. pressure-packed decisions at a horrific time in human history. We're talking about a time of, of conscription and, and even like World War One, like people always think, of, you know, the United States versus Germany or whoever, but there were all these other little countries, Austria, Hungary, Bulgaria, these people who were just thrown mm-hmm. into war and i I, i'm not excusing anything believe me the horrors of war that happened to you know especially the jewish people during the holocaust but i I don't know what people expected people to do back then i mean other than you know flee and run and hide in a hole i mean you you were forced to do horrible things and again not excusing any horrible things that were done by people like that but when we talked about this yesterday i said man what would you have done back then like what you really, a lot of people had no choice yeah. on what they were to do. Yeah. So, um, we believe that conversations are nuanced. Uh, I, I do believe that some areas, uh, some issues, at, at least my conviction, are black and white. And I believe that others are in shades of gray. And I think that the most important thing we can do is to seek informed perspective on that expert analysis and then have conversations in a reputable forum, a forum with integrity where we can hash things out among like minded individuals. Even some people who may disagree inherently with what we're all about. We welcome your feedback to talk at RyanJesperson.com if you'd like to respond to Tina or something else you've heard on the show. And you can also hit us up our hashtag RealTalkRJ. You'll find us at RealTalkRJ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I think that Real Talk, TikTok, we call it Real, Real talk. talk. We love that real talk ha 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 we love that um to me is is what you, you talk about energy that's infused into an operation and, and we do things a little bit differently on our tiktok than anywhere else and we're having a lot of fun with that so we encourage you to follow us there coming up later this week we're going to be talking about national depression screening day i mean I, to, to be honest i know it sounds like a bit of a bummer but more, more people than you think maybe even you are living with this so we're going to talk about the importance of paying attention to our mental health plus big changes across the country on gambling So what does this mean for Alberta? We're going to dig into a great feature piece, the cover story in the newest issue of Alberta Views. Thanks for making Real Talk part of your day. We'll see you again soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford, technical producer John Hicks, general manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. 
Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.